professional football player, husband, father, motivational speaker, dynamic facilitator, and visionary with a passion and drive to see kids succeed. His name is Cliff Baskerville, and he's the co-founder and president of Life Visioneers and is also the vice president of Choosing the Best, one of the premier abstinence education and curriculum companies, which has touched over 4 million students nationwide. Welcome to the show, Cliff. Thank you, Nicole. Thank you. You just got me excited by listening to that introduction. <laughs> Almost didn't know who you were talking about. <laughs> I tell you, with a resume like that, it's hard to kind of figure out just where to start. But as I was preparing for today's show, I, I reflected back to the time when I met you. And it's been, I think, almost 10 years. I remember I was attending the Georgia Teen Institute conference that's hosted by GUIDE. And I was sitting Mm -hmm. in on a workshop that you were conducting for middle and high school students. And as someone who's gone to lots and lots of trainings and workshops, you know, I'm, I'm very observant, but I was fascinated to see just how you were able to captivate and engage those young people, and you really had them hanging on to your every word. I love working with teens, Um, young girls, young boys, uh, young men, young adults, the messages that they actually have and the stories that they have for me help me um, with those trainings that you're talking about. And the reason I say that is because when you go around the country and you get so many stories, you start to recognize that the teens all look the same, and they're all going through the same type of thing. So one story that happens in Miami will resonate with those that happen in Atlanta. So I'm excited that you were there, and I'm excited that I did get a chance to meet you. I do remember um, actually our meeting, and it was awesome. Um, but I'm excited that the kids obviously were engaged um, because if I can't get them engaged, they won't hear me. So i got to definitely do everything I can and be creative. So thanks again. Now, I recall in that particular session, and since then multiple sessions, because you've been out to Diamond in the Rough, you've been to some of our big conferences, you've done workshops with our parents. So I've seen you in many instances since that day 10 years ago. But I know that you often share your personal story of your glory days in football that were suddenly interrupted, and that interruption actually led you to embark on this new chapter of your life, which um, we'll be talking about a little bit. But I thought that we would start right there. Can we start with having you take us back to the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, where it all started, and tell us what life was like for Cliff Baskerville, Jr. back then? Back then at Chapel Hill. Yeah. Um, well, life was great. Life was great. It's funny. 
uh, as you talk about how my path or where I am now is probably not what I thought it would have been back then. Uh, but God has a funny way of um, changing things a little bit, again, to honor him a little bit more. But, yeah, back at Chapel Hill, I was a football player. I was a cornerback for the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. I was doing very, very well. Uh, had an opportunity to go with the Philadelphia Eagles. I was recruited and, and selected to be on their team. But right there in preseason camp, uh, I got myself injured and tore a ligament in my shoulder. Uh, after that, I said, you know what, I could still do it. Went off to arena football, led the league there in interceptions and tackles, and I thought I was back on my way. Before I say I was second in interceptions, but um, I'm going to let that slide. But we, <laughs> we were um, leading in interceptions and tackles, and I was back on my way. In fact, the Miami Dolphins called in and said, Cliff, we need you on a team. I said, good, I'm coming. But right before preseason camp there, I tore my hamstrings to shreds so I could barely walk. After that, I said, you know what, I could still do it. I was young. I was determined. I was going to exercise my perseverance and my character. And I said, I can still make it happen. Go up to Canada. Doug Flutie, Warren Moon, all these players would come in and out of Canada at the time making all this money. And I said, you know what, I can do it. I can make that money too. First game of the season, I got the Pittsburgh Steelers, Oakland Raiders, got all these teams waiting and watching to see my progress for the new year. First game of the season, completely ruptured my patella tendon, so I blew up my knee and couldn't walk for about nine months. Now, <laughs> it was safe to say I had to find something else to do uh, with my life, and that's when I think uh, God started putting things in my path to redirect my focus because what I was finding out is that being injured, I had an opportunity to speak with a lot of teams. Uh, and they were sharing with me a lot of different stories. In fact, I always talk about it as they were sharing me these stories because they thought I was a role model. But as I typically say, a role model does exactly what the title says. They roll in and out of the life of the teen, and they're not permanent. Uh, so I quickly realized that what they really needed were real models. And I also quickly realized that, you know what, I can make a difference in the lives of these teens uh, because, again, they needed to hear from not just me, but the people in their community, their parents, their teachers, their coaches, and everyone that they came in contact with. Uh, so the need was great, which what started me on my path to doing the things that I do today. Wow. Now, what gave you the strength to make that transition smoothly? I can only imagine, um, I'm, I'm assuming that you played football when you were young, in maybe middle school, high school, and like you said, dreamed of professional football all your life. And then to come to that pivotal point where God was obviously taking you into a new direction, how did you make that transition smoothly? Because I can imagine it was hard. I can only imagine the people around you had a lot to do with you transitioning smoothly. And your faith was probably a factor, I'm assuming. Well, I guess smoothly may be the operative word because I don't know if it was that smooth. And the reason I say that is because I remember uh, when I blew out my knee uh, when I was playing uh, in Canada, and I was laying down in my hospital bed, and I was actually crying. And the reason I was crying is because I had decided, and this actually helped with the transition, I had decided from various things that happened in my life and let me back up some because my mom was a social therapist, so I had to see uh, her counsel and work with teens that were underprivileged and those that didn't have uh, moms and dads and didn't have uh, material things or whatever may be in their life. And I remember working with her or observing her and saying, you know what, I want to be able to make a difference in the life of those teens. Then I also decided that I also, again, wanted to play football. 
So then I said, you know what? You know what I could do? I can play football, get a name for myself, and then they'll absolutely listen to me because I'll be a football star, maybe I'll be an all-pro, and I'll say, that's Cliff Baskerville, he's making a difference. So now if I fast-forward it to the part where I'm now hurt and crying in that hospital bed, what happened was I'm crying out to God and saying, God, what are you doing? Remember, I, yeah, I want to play football, but I can't do it now because I keep getting injured. But how am I going to get that name for myself to get kids to listen to me if you won't allow me to play? So, again, I was going through that heart-wrenching, fearful, not understanding that God had all power in my life way of thinking. And I think from that moment on, I started recognizing that, you know what, let me not get in the way of God's plan. Let God do his plan for me. He does have a purpose on my life. And if I let him control it instead of me controlling my own plan, I'd probably do even more than I would have done if I would have been playing. And I look back today and say, you know what, I think today I'm impacting more teams than I ever would have impacted if I would have still continued to play football. So, again, I just trust God on my life, and that's what the transition was, and that's how it was smoother because, again, I let go and let God. That's awesome. And when you think about you impacting, <clears throat> excuse me, the number of young people that you've been able to since that since that encounter, <laughs> you should celebrate because you're doing it and all your bones are intact. All You know, you're healthy. You're healthy and you're able to do it instead of maybe having a few more injuries to add to it. So we're, we're thankful on this end that you yielded yourself and allowed God to do his thing because his plan is always better. Now, I've had a, a chance to meet your beautiful wife, Sheila, Uh-oh. and I understand that the two of you met in college. We Is did. that correct? Yes, we absolutely met in college. Okay. Now, you know I'm a firm believer that girls set the bar in many instances, but especially uh-huh. when it comes to the way that guys treat them. And so here on A Priceless Perspective, because this show is geared primarily towards middle and high school girls, I think it's always great to get a male perspective. I was hoping that you could share some of the traits and characteristics that your wife, Sheila, exhibited that ultimately resulted in her being your wife and the mother of your children. Well, you got I was the man when I was in college, right? I thought I was the man. Had a football scholarship. Remember, my my mindset was going to the pros. In fact, I remember when I first saw my potential wife, or my wife to be. I told my roommate, I said, you know what? That's the girl right there. I'm a, I'm a finder. And what I did, and don't laugh at me, girls, but what I did is I grabbed some old, dirty clothes that I never wear because my room in my dorm was located next to the laundry. So every now and again, I would see her coming because she lived in my dorm. I would see her come and actually start going and, and wash her own clothes. So I said, if she goes and washes her clothes, I'll get my fake load of laundry. I'll run to the laundry, you know, to the laundry room too, and I won't have any detergent. And then that way, I can ask to borrow her detergent, and boom, that can start our love connection, right? So I saw her coming, ran into the room, got my laundry basket, get into the laundry room, don't have detergent. Ask her for the detergent. She lets me borrow it. Everything is going just like I planned it out. Smile at her. She smiles at me. I say, I haven't seen you around here before. You must have a boyfriend. She looked at me, quickly stopped smiling, left the laundry room, and I hadn't heard from her (laughs) for the next, like, five months. So I went back with my head down to my, I guess, head between my legs, the tail between my legs. My roommate is laughing at me. And to this day, which is very funny, is my wife actually does not remember that encounter. 
So then we had a chance to meet again. <laughs> and this time, there was no plan. She was talking to a friend of ours. And uh, she actually asked and said, well, who was that guy there? You see, I presented myself a, total, a little bit differently, and she absolutely saw and recognized who I am, and she remembers that conversation to this day. But now, as you talk about the standards that my wife put in place, the thing that made her so different and so special, and, again, I always talk to teens, and I say, well, she never changed me as a person, but I decided to change myself because I loved her so much and she let me know right away what she expected in her life. And I had to make a decision to say, well, if that's what she expects, can I give her that? And the answer to, my, to me was yes, because I want to treat my wife as a queen. And the reason I say that, because I remember we started talking, and we were going out from time to time, and I was still trying to figure out if, if I was going to be a, 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 a wonderful, the wonderful man that God has made me to be or if I was going to let secular society take me down a different path. And... I say, you know what, babe, you know I love you. And she says, well, when are you going to start showing me? That's the first thing she says. And I said, okay, wow. Okay, that's a little different. And then I said, okay, well, when are you going to start letting me be, you know, when are you going to let me be your king? And that was the song that was out at the time. And she says, when you start treating me like a queen. And I said, okay, wow. So she means what she says. And she wasn't scared to let me go if she wasn't being treated a certain way. Because I'm a firm believer and so is she that guess what, if I have an expectation of this, that's what I'm going to draw into my life. But if my bar is set down low, then I'm going to draw that in my life, and I'll be accepting things way lower than what I'm expecting or what I deserve in my life. So then she says this. She says, Cliff, I will never lower my standard down to you. You're going to have to start raising your standard up to mine. And then I had to make a decision. I knew she wasn't going to compromise on what she deserved in her life, and I had to make a decision, like, you know what, she deserves to be treated like a queen, so I'm going to treat her like a queen for the rest of my life. A lot of times from traveling in the country, a lot of young girls and young guys, they don't set that bar high. They keep the bar low. And when you keep the bar low, any and everybody can reach it, right? It's like the low-hanging fruit on a tree. Anybody can reach that one. But the ones that are pristine, the ones that are untouched, the ones that take work to get to, that's where you want to be. Because, again, now you're starting to be treated like the person that God intended you to be and not someone treating you less. But she set that standard early, and um, she's, been treated, she's been treated that way ever since. I love it. I do. Now, I know that you all have beautiful children, and yes. you have a daughter. I mean, you have a daughter and son, but when it comes to the advice that you give your kids, and especially your little girl, what do you share with her in terms of growing up in life being a success, what advice do you give her in terms of her friendships and her setting the standard when it comes to guys? Now, she's not dating. She, not, I know she's not dating yet. I know she's no, not. No, she right. can't date until she's about 57. No, I'm only joking. <laughs> <laughs> I'm only joking. And, and, and actually, I let, I let Michaela, and Michaela's my oldest. My youngest is Raina, and my middle uh, son is Clifton. He's um, my namesake. But, no, I, with all my kids, the first thing we establish is how priceless they really are. They understand that they've been uniquely designed to do wonderful things. They understand that they've been purposed and, and, and been created for a reason, um, and they know that God loves them that much. So they, they have a very firm and strong sense of who they are, there is a purpose on their life, and how priceless and special they really are. So we start off with all of our children, making sure that that is ingrained in all of them. Um, then after that, 
now we can start talking about, I guess, the practical day-to-day. Um, like, what are you expecting in your life? So, for example, if I'm expected to be treated like my wife, treated like a queen, then I'm going to have to, what, act accordingly. So I can't accept things below that in my life. I can't – there's a saying that we talk about eagles and chickens. And when we look at chickens, chickens, you find them everywhere, right? They're a dime a dozen. Chickens are all over the place. You see them all the time, right? How often do you see eagles, right? You rarely see them. Why? Because they're soaring above. And when do you ever see an eagle walking around with a chicken? You don't. And if you do, you'll, be, you'll think it's really strange and really weird. So what it is is that I try to encourage all of my children to soar with the eagles and not just walk around with the chickens because they what they deserve so much more and they've worked so much so so hard that they need to soar with the eagles and those they should be treated as such. Again, think about how society treats eagles. The presidential seal is an eagle, right? So when, whenever you see an eagle, is, is they're treated with so much respect that that's the kind of respect that they should also expect in their own lives. So whatever they're doing, there's two things that we talk about. Does it line up with God's view of you? and how priceless you are? Does it match the character and the values that we have in our family? And two, are you, exempl- are you exemplifying the work, that, work ethic that it takes to make it to where you're going to? So, again, nothing is easy. They know that. Our children know that. There's nothing that's easy in our life. We have to work hard as we can to get to it. So, again, does it line up with who God has you as a person, who God's viewing you? Does it line up in the character and the values that we have in our family? And three, um, is your work ethic matching your expectation? And when we can do that, they'll be successful. They'll be successful. All right. Now, I know that you travel all over the country, and you've, you've talked to thousands upon thousands of young people and adults, but in your opinion, what is the biggest challenge facing young people today? Today, our young people are forced to grow up so quickly. It could be the media. It could be TV. Uh, it's the social network and the social media. Uh, there's so many things right now that our that our teens are having to experience that I think a lot of times we didn't experience growing up, and because of that, they're forced to make adult decisions before they're actually ready, uh, or before they become adults or mature enough to make those decisions. The way they interact in relationships, uh, I think a lot of times we can put ourselves in situations there where we're making uh, adult decisions before we're ready because of again the secrecy of social media the secrecy of our parents not finding out, the cell phones now that they have. So, again, they're forced to navigate through um, these shark-filled waters without guidance. And I think that's becoming real difficult for our teens. Um, So the more they can, and I know teens hate to hear it, right, but the more they can actually get that mentor, that um, person that's actually been there before and helping them navigate through uh, some of these problems in life, uh, as opposed to relying on their friends that don't know, that again, don't know uh, pretty much the, the obstacles either. Um, the more they can get those mentors, those adults, those parents, the easier it will become as they navigate to what they're really wanting to do in their lives and the successes that they're searching for. Uh, but, yeah, I, I think the secrecy, the cell phones, the, the fast-paced media, the social network, and I think that's actually some of the biggest problems that they're going through. A second one, actually, is... A lot of times I think we sometimes may have failed them as a generation. Our acceptance of things that are so much less than love, some of our uh, decisions that we've made from broken homes to uh, choices that we've made to make us feel happy temporarily, I think they've learned 
some of that stuff from us, whether it be material things, whether it be uh, you know flesh needs or whether, whatever it may be, temporary highs such as drugs or whatever it may be. They've seen our generation go through a lot of that kind of stuff, and they're learning <laughs> that maybe that's okay. So I think that's also been a huge problem with our kids today is that we in our generation haven't taken responsibility and accountability, and we're not stepping up, not enough of us are stepping up and saying, you know what, there were some mistakes made with us. Let's change that so that way our teens can learn, you know what, there's another way. Um, You're doing it, Nicole, every day. Uh, I'm trying as much as I can, but we need so many more parents and so many more adults in our generation to be able to stand up and and say this is what we're expecting, which is excellence, and not um, some of the mistakes of the past. So to me, those are the two things. Um, that I can see that I'm like, wow, if our kids, if, if they could just have more, it could be a little bit different. And it's not about going back to what they might consider as the archaic days when they didn't have all this technology. Technology is great, but just teaching right. our young people how to use it, how to use it responsibly, how to guard themselves for, for adults as well to be educated, to understand that technology is not going away. So if you're a parent, right. if you're a youth worker, You have got to get on board. You've got to educate yourself. You've got to know what's out there so that you can keep your children safe because it can be a great tool, but it can also be a very destructive tool, having all that information at your fingertips. Right, and what you just said is key because um, when I talked about the secrecy of the media, it's, it's not because it's a secret. It's because the parents, to your point, just don't know how to access it. They just don't know what's there. And, and it's an alternative universe that their teens are participating without any parental guidance. So the media, like you just said a second ago, the media is a wonderful thing. Um, there's so many things now in our society that's so great because of technology, technologically, technological advances that, yeah, it's, it's a wonderful thing. But if it's untapped and untouched and allowed to fester in the lives of our young teens that just don't know what, know what to do with all that power, it can become dangerous too. And that's why our parents need to be at least involved uh, in what's going on. So, yeah, absolutely. Now, that's a great transition into my next question, which is what advice would you give to parents and youth workers maybe that are listening to the show when it comes to helping our young people reach their full potential? Well, one thing is is to be relatable. And, again, as you talk about the transition, a lot of times um, adults and sometimes youth workers will say, you know what, that's their world, and I'm not going to be part of that world at all. And I always say, well, if you can't get in that world a little bit or at least stick a hand in that world, how are you going to pull them out? So one thing I think they all need to do is be knowledgeable, educate themselves on what's happening in today's culture, be relatable, um, and then you're going to find that they're going to start hearing your heart and not just your words. You see, when teens just hear your words, it's just like, okay, yeah, and it flows over their head, and okay, thank you very much. But if they can actually hear your heart, and understand that the only reason I'm here is so you can have the best self or you can become the best self that you can become, then they start to hear, they start to listen. So one thing is to be relatable. Another thing is is to be creative. And, and when I say be creative, a lot of times youth workers or parents and adults sometimes, they, it, it, they, they well, they should think or they should listen just because no one else is doing it. Or they should expect that the teen should definitely listen to me just because I'm out here doing it, I'm the one doing it. And then what happens is that their creativity and then their work ethic actually declines. Why? Because um, they feel almost entitled or the the kids should listen. But it's almost like being a 
like when you're being a parent, a lot of times it's a selfless endeavor because you don't see the teens every day thanking you and, and you know, mom, you sacrificed or dad, you sacrificed. Uh, so if you go around thinking that, well, they should be doing this because I'm their mom, then a lot of times we'll miss out on some of the ways that we can actually connect with our teens. Um, so when you talk about youth workers, we have to be creative because if we're not being creative, if we're not working hard every day to make it as fresh or as, as, as make it even better than it was before, then it becomes stale. And then once it becomes stale, it becomes really hard for the teens to actually hear you. So, yeah, so let's get in their world. Let's be creative. Let's make sure that we're working as hard every day and we're well prepared and, and we're well prepared in our approach. And then find that the teens will hear your heart. They got you. They got right. you. I'm always amazed when I when I talk to adults and they think, oh, well, you know, the same issues. You know, I went through bullying or I went through, you know, these challenges, and, and it's just a phase. But what I tell um, parents and, and, and youth workers alike is, yeah, the issues are the same, but the consequences are vastly different than even just a few generations ago, and things that kids could go through and maybe come out okay on the other side, you've got issues that are that are taking kids out of here. I mean, right. you know, when you talk about bullying, when you talk about drugs, when you talk about engaging in premarital sex, and, you know, you're talking about life and death in many instances. Right. And so we've got to take the rose-colored glasses off and realize that we're dealing with a different world, a new generation and our right. approach will be the difference in whether or not our kids succeed or not. Yeah, we, we absolutely know what's going on. We know the consequences. We know, like you said, they can be life and death. Back then and back in the day when we kind of didn't know, I didn't know what drugs could do. I didn't know what cigarettes could do. Alcohol, I didn't know it was going to be such a severe problem. Teen pregnancies and uh, premarital sex, I didn't know it was going to result in a situation of poverty and different situations that you're seeing in our society right now with broken homes. See, back then we didn't know. Right. Now we absolutely know. And as a parent, our responsibility as an adult, as someone has been through it all already, our responsibility is to go back to those teens and say, you know what, let me share with you. But, again, they got to hear your hearts. You have to be engaged and you have to be creative. Um, and you have to be sincere. And once you do that, the kids, they will, they will listen. You know, I find it really interesting, and I hope the listeners are tuning in and catching this. One of the things that you did not say in that list of what adults should be is you didn't say that people need to be perfect. And mm -hmm. I think that's what keeps adults from pouring out their heart and standing up and taking a stand and because they say, well, you know, I didn't do it right. Oh, well, you know, kids aren't looking for people to be perfect. So if you've made mistakes, if you've, all of us have a testimony. There mm -hmm. are no perfect people. But being transparent, being real, being available, being engaged, and, and just pursuing our young people with a passion, that's the most important work. Being a mother, right. being a father, being somebody who can pour into the life of young people at church in their neighborhoods and their families is one of the biggest and, and, and most precious responsibilities. And it saddens right. me to see people just take it so lightly. Right. 
it, it really does sadden me. So I hope people are listening and I hope they are, are being encouraged and that they understand that you don't need a national platform like our Cliff Baskerville has, but you have a platform in your home. You have a platform right. in your neighborhood, in your church, at your at your community center. There's some somebody looking. There's some young eyes looking and taking note and how we right. how we react can be the difference. So yeah. how can our listeners connect with you, Cliff, and uh, perhaps schedule you out to come out and speak to their group? Or how can they find out information about the educational curriculum and the training offered through Choosing the Best, which has the best um, abstinence-related and healthy relationship curriculum in the nation? It's, it's actually proven curriculum. Um, how can people connect with you to find out more about those things? Well, first of all, again, like, like I said earlier, I love, love, love working with teens. Um, so whether it's young girls or young guys, uh, whether it's young adults and, and even parents, actually, I just love working and getting this message out. So um, whatever it is that you guys are needing, just let me know and we can make it happen. In order to let me know, my email address is C. And then Baskerville, which is B as in boy, A-S-K-E-R, V as in Victor, I-L-L-E. So C. Baskerville at CTB, like choosing the best, and you heard um, that earlier, but choosing the best, publishing.com. So C. Baskerville at CTBpublishing.com. Our website is just quick and easy, choosingthebest.org. So you can also go out to our website, www.choosingthebest.org, and that's quick and easy to get to me. And I am so bold. I I even give out my work cell phone number. So you can text me. You can can email me. You can call me direct. It's 678-314-0919. Now, um, as I did give out the cell phone number, I'm always working. I'm always uh, somewhere speaking. Um, I'm always doing something as it relates to work. So the quickest way is my email or text. But either way, you can call me, you can text me, you can email me, you can go on our website. Uh, but if there's something out there that needs to be done, I'm game, and we can make it happen, and it's going to be fun. So. Excellent. Well, I thank you, Cliff, for joining us today on the show. I wish you continued success in the incredible work that you're doing to impact and make a, a difference in the lives of young people. And I want you to know that you have an open invitation to come back anytime. I know there are some great things that are coming in the months to come. And so will you come back in a few Yes, months? absolutely. Again, I love it. I love it. I, I love what you're doing, Nicole. You're doing a, a great service to teens all across the country. Um, I know the girls are loving you. I know their parents are loving you. Um, and, again, I think as you talk about platforms, um, this platform is one that needs to be, I just needs to be heard by everybody. So thank you for thinking about me, and I hope um, your listeners got something about it, something from our conversation. All right. Well, listeners, you've heard it here on A Priceless Perspective. You have an opportunity, like Cliff Baskerville, to make your life count. Despite obstacles and unforeseen circumstances, you can accomplish great things. The choice is up to you. You must have a vision for your future and understand that you have a purpose here on earth. At the end of the day, it's up to you to choose the best path for your best life. I'm Nicole Steele, and this is my Priceless Perspective. 
Join the conversation. Visit us online at pricelessperspective.com or follow us on Facebook and Twitter. This show has been brought to you in part by Diamond in the Rough Youth Development Program Incorporated and Gym Makers LLC.